Section 91 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. B. The Afflicted Crossing Sweepers. The Wooden-Legged Sweeper. This man lives up a little court running out of a wide second-rate street. It is a small court, consisting of some half-dozen houses, all of them what are called by courtesy private. I inquired at number three for John Blank. The first floor back, if you please, sir. And to the first floor back I went. Here I was answered by a good-looking and intelligent young woman with a baby, who said her husband had not yet come home, but would I walk in and wait? I did so, and found myself in a very small, close room, with a little furniture, which the man called his few sticks, and presently discovered another child, a little girl. The girl was very shy in her manner, being only two years and two months old, and, as her mother said, very ailing from the difficulty of cutting her teeth, though the true cause seemed to be want of proper nourishment and fresh air. The baby was a boy, a fine, cheerful, good-tempered little fellow, but rather pale, and with an unnaturally large forehead. The mantelpiece of the room was filled with little ornaments of various sorts, such as bead-baskets, and over them hung a series of black profiles, not portraits of either the crossing-sweeper or any of his family, but an odd lot of heads, which had lost their owners many a year, and served, in company with a little red, green and yellow scripture piece, to keep the wall from looking bare. Over the door, inside the room, was nailed a horseshoe, which, the wife told me, had been put there by her husband for luck. A bed, two deal tables, a couple of boxes and three chairs formed the entire furniture of the room, and nearly filled it. On the window frame was hung a small shaving glass, and on the two boxes stood a wicker-work apology for a perambulator, in which I learnt the poor crippled man took out his only daughter at half-past four in the morning. "'If some people was to see that, sir,' said the sweeper, when he entered and saw me looking at it, "'they would, and in fact they do, say, why, you can't be in want. Ah, little they know how we starved and pinched ourselves before we could get it.' There was a fire in the room, notwithstanding the day was very hot, but the window was wide open, and the place tolerably ventilated, though oppressive. I have been in many poor people's places, but never remember one so poor in its appointments, and yet so free from effluvia. The crossing-sweeper himself was a very civil sort of man, and in answer to my inquiries said, I know that I do as I ought to, and so I don't feel hurt at standing at my crossing. I have been there four years. I found the place vacant. My wife, though she looks very well, will never be able to do any hard work. So we sold our mangle, and I took to the crossing. But we're not in debt, and nobody can't say nothing to us. I like to go along the streets free of such remarks as is made by people to whom you owe money. I had a mangle in blank yard, but through my wife's weakness I was forced to part with it. I was on the crossing a short time before that, for I knew that if I parted with my mangle and things before I knew whether I could get a living at the crossing, I couldn't get my mangle back again. We sold the mangle only for a sovereign, and we gave two pound ten for it. We sold it to the same man that we bought it off. About six months ago, I managed for to screw and save enough to buy that little wicker chase, for I can't carry the children because of my one leg, and of course the mother can't carry them both out together. There was a man had the crossing I've got. 
He died three or four years before I took it ; but he didn't depend on the crossing ; he did things for the tradespeople about, such as carpet beating, messages, &c. When I first took the crossing I did very well. It happened to be a very nasty dirty season, and I took a good deal of money ; sweepers are not always civil, sir. I wish I had gone to one of the squares, though ; but I think after street is paved with stone I shall do better. I am certain I never taste a bit of meat from one week's end to the other. The best day I ever made was five and sixpence, or six shillings. It was the winter before last. If you remember, the snow laid very thick on the ground, and the sudden thaw made walking so uncomfortable that I did very well. I have taken as little as sixpence, fourpence, and even twopence. Last Thursday I took two halfpence all day. Take one week with the other, seven or eight shillings is the very outside. I don't know how it is, but some people who used to give me a penny don't now. The boys who come in wet weather earn a great deal more than I do. I once lost a good chance, sir, at the corner of the street leading to Cavendish Square. There's a bank, and they pay a man seven shillings a week to sweep the crossing. A butcher in Oxford Market spoke for me, but when I went up, it unfortunately turned out that I was not fit from the loss of my leg. The last man they had there they were obliged to turn away. He was so given to drink. I think there are some rich crossing sweepers in the city, about the exchange, but you won't find them now during this dry weather, except in by-places. In wet weather, there are two or three boys who sweep near my crossing and take all my earnings away. There's a great able-bodied man besides, a fellow strong enough to follow the plough. I said to the policeman, now ain't this a shame? And the policeman said, well, he must get his living as well as you. I'm always civil to the police, and they're always civil to me. In fact, I think sometimes I'm too civil. I'm not rough enough with people. You soon tell whether to have any hopes of people coming across. I can tell a gentleman directly I see him. Where I stand, sir, I could get people in trouble everlasting. There's all sorts of thieving going on. I saw the other day two or three respectable persons take a purse out of an old lady's pocket before the baker's shop at the corner. But I can't say a word, or they would come and throw me into the road. If a gentleman gives me sixpence, he don't give me any more for three weeks or a month. But I don't think I've more than three or four gentlemen as gives me that. Well, you can scarcely tell the gentleman from the clerk. The clerks are such great swells now. Lawyers themselves dress very plain. Those great men who don't come every day, because they have clerks to do their business for them, they give most. People hardly ever stop to speak, unless it is to ask you where places are. You might be occupied at that all day. I manage to pay my rent out of what I take on Sunday, but not lately. This weather religious people go pleasuring. No, I don't go now. The fact is, I'd like to go to church if I could, but when I come home I am tired. But I've got books here, and they do as well, sir. I read a little and write a little. I lost my leg through a swelling. There was no chloroform then. I was in the hospital three years and a half, and was about fifteen or sixteen when I had it off. I always feel the sensation of the foot and more so at change of weather. I feel my toes moving about and everything. Sometimes it's just as if the calf of my leg was itching. I feel the rain coming. When I see a cloud coming, my leg shoots, and I know we shall have rain. My mother was a laundress. My father has been dead nineteen years my last birthday. My mother was subject to fits, so I was forced to stop at home to take care of the business. I don't want to get on better. But I always think, if sickness or anything comes on, I am at my crossing at half-past eight. At half-past eleven I come home to dinner. 
I go back at one or two till seven. Sometimes I mind horses and carts, but the boys get all that business. One of these little customers got sixpence the other day for only opening the door of a cab. I don't know how it is they let these little boys be about. If I was the police, I wouldn't allow it. I think it's a blessing having children. Note, referring to his little girl. End note. That child wants the gravy of meat or an egg beaten up, but she can't get it. I take her out every morning round Euston Square and those open places. I get out about half past four. It is early, but if it benefits her, that's no odds. One-legged sweeper at Chancery Lane. I don't know what induced me to take that crossing, except it was that no one was there and the traffic was so good. Fact is, the traffic is too good and people won't stop as they cross over. They're very glad to get out of the way of the cabs and the omnibuses. Tradespeople never give me anything, not even a bit of bread. The only thing I get is a few cuttings, such as crusts of sandwiches and remains of cheese, from the public house at the corner of the court. The tradespeople are as distant to me now as they were when I came, but if I should pitch up a tail, I should soon get acquainted with them. We have lived in this lodging two years and a half, and we pay one and ninepence a week, as you may see from the rent book, and that I manage to earn on Sundays. We owe four weeks now, and thank God it's no more. I was born, sir, in Blank Street, Berkeley Square at Lord Blank's house, when my mother was minding the house. I've been used to London all my life, but not to this part. I've always been at the West End, which is what I call the best end. I did not like the idea of crossing sweeping at first, till I reasoned with myself, why should I mind? I'm not doing any hurt to anybody. I don't care at all now. I know I'm doing what I ought to do. A man had better be killed out of the way than be disabled. It's not pleasant to know that my wife is suckling that great child, and though she is so weakly, she can't get no meat. I've been knocked down twice, sir, both times by cabs. The last time it was a fortnight before I could get about comfortably again. The fool of a fellow was coming along, not looking at his horse, but talking to somebody on the cab rank. The place was as free as this room, if he had only been looking before him. Nobody hollered till I was down, but plenty hollered then. Ah, I often notice such carelessness. It's really shameful. I don't think those shuffles, note, handsomes, end note, should be allowed. The fact is, if the driver is not a tall man, he can't see the horse's head. A nasty place is end of Blank Street. It narrows so suddenly. There's more confusion and more bother about it than any place in London. When two cabs get in at once, one one way and one the other, there's sure to be a row to know which was the first in. The most severely afflicted of all the crossing sweepers. Passing the dreary portico of the Queen's Theatre and turning to the right down Tottenham Mews, we came upon a flight of steps leading up to what is called the gallery, where an old man, gasping from the effects of a lung disease and feebly polishing some old harness, proclaimed himself the father of the sweeper I was in search of and ushered me into the room where he lay abed, having had a very bad night. The room itself was large and of a low pitch, stretching over some stables. It was very old and creaky, the sweeper called it an old wilderness, and contained, in addition to two turn-up bedsteads, that curious medley of articles which, in the course of years, an old and poor couple always managed to gather up. There was a large lithograph of a horse, dear to the remembrance of the old man, from an indication of a dog in the corner. The very spit of the one I had for years! It's a real portrait, sir, for Mr. Hanbart, the printer, met me one day and sketched him. 
There was an etching of Hogarth's in a black frame, a stuffed bird in a wooden case with a glass before it, a piece of painted glass hanging in a place of honour, but for which no name could be remembered, excepting that it was of the old-fashioned sort. There were the odd remnants, too, of old china ornaments, but very little furniture. And finally, a kitten. The father, worn out and consumptive, had been groomed to Lord Cumbermere. I was with him, sir, when he took Bonaparte's house at Malmaison. I could have had a pension then, if I'd a liked. But I was young and foolish, and had plenty of money, and we never know what we may come to. The sweeper, although a middle-aged man, had all the appearance of a boy. His raw-looking eyes, which he was always wiping with a piece of linen rag, gave him a forbidding expression, which his shapeless, short, bridgeless nose tended to increase. But his manners and habits were as simple in their character as those of a child, and he spoke of his father's being angry with him for not getting up before, as if he were a little boy talking of his nurse. He walks with great difficulty by the help of a crutch, and the sight of his weak eyes, his withered limb, and his broken shoulder, his old helpless mother and his gasping, almost inaudible father, form a most painful subject for compassion. The crossing sweeper gave me, with no little meekness and some slight intelligence, the following statement. I very seldom go out on a crossing of Sundays. I didn't do much good at it. I used to go to church of a Sunday. In fact, I do now, when I'm well enough. It's fifteen year next January since I left Regent Street. I was there three years, and then I went on Sundays occasionally. Sometimes I used to get a shilling, but I have given it up now. It didn't answer. Besides, a lady who was kind to me found me out and said she wouldn't do any more for me if I went out on Sundays. She's been dead these three or four years now. When I was at Regent Street, I might have made twelve shillings a week, or something thereabout. I am seven and thirty the twenty-sixth day of last month, and I have been lame six and twenty years. My eyes have been bad ever since my birth. The scrofulous disease it was that lamed me. It come with a swelling on the knee, and the outside wound broke about the size of a crown piece, and a piece of bone come from it. Then it gathered in the inside and at the top. I didn't go into the hospital then, but I was an outpatient, for the doctor said a close, confined place wouldn't do me no good. He said that the seaside would, though, but my parents couldn't afford to send me. And that's how it is. I did go to Brighton and Margate nine years after my leg was bad, but it was too late then. I have been in Middlesex Hospital with a broken collarbone when I was knocked down by a cab. I was in a fortnight there, and I was in again when I hurt my leg. I was sweeping my crossing when the top came off my crutch. I fell backwards and my leg doubled under me. They had to carry me there. I went into the Middlesex Hospital for my eyes and leg. I was in a month, but they couldn't keep me long. There's no cure for me. My leg is very painful, especially at change of weather. Sometimes I don't get an hour's sleep of a night. It was daylight this morning before I closed my eyes. I went on the crossing first because my parents couldn't keep me, not being able to keep themselves. I thought it was the best thing I could do, but it's like all other things. It's got very bad now. I used to manage to rub along at first. The streets have got shocking bad of late. To tell the truth, I was turned away from Regent Street by Mr. Cook, the furrier, corner of Argyll Street. I'll tell you as far as I was told. He called me into his passage one night and said I must look out for another crossing, for a lady, who was a very good customer of his, refused to come while I was there. 
My heavy afflictions was such that she didn't like the look of me. I said, very well. But because I come there next day and the day after that, he got the policeman to turn me away. Certainly the policeman acted very kindly, but he said the gentleman wanted me removed and I must find another crossing. Then I went down Charlotte Street, opposite Percy Chapel, at the corner of Windmill Street. After that, I went to Well Street by getting permission of the doctor at the corner. He thought that it would be better for me than Charlotte Street, so he let me come. Ah, there ain't so many crossing sweepers as there was. I think they've done away with a great many of them. When I first went to Well Street, I did pretty well, because there was a dressmaker's at the corner, and I used to get a good deal from the carriages that stopped before the door. I used to take five or six shillings in a day then, and I don't take so much in a week now. I tell you what I made this week. I've made one and fourpence, but it's been so wet and people are out of town. But of course it's not always alike. Sometimes I get three and sixpence or four shillings. Some people gives me a sixpence or a fourpenny bit. I reckons that all in. I am dreadful tired when I comes home of a night. Thank God my other leg's all right. I wish the t'other was as strong, but it never will be now. The police never try to turn me away. They're very friendly. They'll pass the time of day with me or that, from knowing me so long in Oxford Street. My broom sometimes serves me a month. Of course, they don't last long now it's showery weather. I give tuppence halfpenny a piece for em, or thruppence. I don't know who gives me the most. My eyes are so bad I can't see. I think, though, upon an average, the gentlemen give most. Often I hear the children, as they are going by, ask their mothers for something to give to me. But they only say, come along, come along. It's very rare that they let the children have a halfpenny to give me. My mother is seventy the week before next Christmas. She can't do much now. She does, though, go out on Wednesdays or Saturdays, but that's to people she's known for years who is attached to her. She does her work there just as she likes. Sometimes she gets a little washing, sometimes not. This week she had a little and was forced to dry it indoors, but that makes him half dirty again. My father's breath is so bad that he can't do anything except little odd jobs for people down here, but they've got the knack now, a good many in them, of doing their own. We have lived here fifteen years next September. It's a long time to live in such an old wilderness, but my old mother is a sort of woman as don't like moving about, and I don't like it. Some people are everlasting on the move. When I'm not on my crossing, I sit poking at home or make a job of mending my clothes. I mended these trousers in two or three places. It's all done by feel, sir. My mother says it's a good thing we've got our feeling, at least, if we haven't got our eyesight. The Negro Crossing Sweeper, who had lost both his legs. This man sweeps a crossing in a principal and central thoroughfare when the weather is cold enough to let him walk. The colder the better, he says, as it numbs his stumps like. He is unable to follow this occupation in warm weather as his legs feel just like corns, and he cannot walk more than a mile a day. Under these circumstances, he takes to begging, which he thinks he has a perfect right to do, as he has been left destitute in what is to him almost a strange country, and has been denied what he terms his rights. He generally sits while begging, dressed in a sailor shirt and trousers, with a black neckerchief round his neck, tied in the usual nautical knot. He places before him the placard which is given beneath, and never moves a muscle for the purpose of soliciting charity. He always appears scrupulously clean. I went to see him at his home early one morning, in fact at half-past eight, but he was not then up. 
I went again at nine and found him prepared for my visit in a little parlour, in a dirty and rather disreputable alley running out of a court in a street near Brunswick Square. The Negro's parlour was scantily furnished with two chairs, a turn-up bedstead, and a sea-chest. A few odds and ends of crockery stood on the sideboard, and a kettle was singing over a cheerful bit of fire. The little man was seated on a chair, with his stumps of legs sticking straight out. He showed some amount of intelligence in answering my questions. We were quite alone, for he sent his wife and child, the former a pleasant-looking half-caste, and the latter the cheeriest little crowing, smiling piccaninny I have ever seen. He sent them out into the alley, while I conversed with himself. His life is embittered by the idea that he has never yet had his rights, that the owners of the ship in which his legs were burnt off have not paid him his wages, of which indeed he says he never received any but the five pounds which he had in advance before starting, and that he has been robbed of forty-two pounds by a grocer in Glasgow. How true these statements may be, it is almost impossible to say, but from what he says some injustice seems to have been done him by the canny Scotchman who refuses him his pay, without which he is determined never to leave the country. I was on that crossing, he said, almost the whole of last winter. It was very cold, and I had nothing at all to do. So as I passed there, I asked the gentleman at the backer shop, as well as the gentleman at the office, and I asked at the boot shop too, if they would let me sweep there. The policeman wanted to turn me away. But I went to the gentleman inside the office, and he told the policeman to leave me alone. The policeman said first, You must go away. But I said, I couldn't do anything else, and he ought to think it a charity to let me stop. I don't stop in London very long, though, at a time. I go to Glasgow in Scotland, where the owners of the ship in which my legs were burnt off live. I served nine years in the merchant service and the navy. I was born in Kingston in Jamaica. It is an English place, sir, so I am counted as not a foreigner. I am different from them Lascars. I went to sea when I was only nine years old. The owners is in London who had that ship. I was cabin boy, and after I had served my time, I became cook. Or when I couldn't get the place of cook, I went before the mast. I went as head cook in 1851 in the Madeira Bark. She used to be a West Indy trader, and to trade out when I belonged to her. We got down to 69 south of Cape Horn, and there we got almost froze and perished to death. That is the book what I sell. The book, as he calls it, consists of eight pages, printed on paper the size of a sheet of notepaper. It is entitled, Brief Sketch of the Life of Edward Albert, a native of Kingston, Jamaica, showing the hardships he underwent and the sufferings he endured in having both legs amputated. Hull, W. Howe, Printer. It is embellished with a portrait of a black man, which has evidently been in its time a comic nigger of the Jim Crow tobacco paper kind, as is evidenced by the traces of a tobacco pipe, which has been unskilfully erased. The book itself is concocted from an affidavit made by Edward Albert before P. McKinley, Esquire, one of Her Majesty's Justices of the Peace for the Country, so it is printed, of Lanark. I have seen the affidavit, and it is almost identical with the statement in the book, excepting in the matter of grammar, which has rather suffered on its road to Mr. Howe, the printer. The following will give an idea of the matter of which it is composed. Quote, in February 1851, I engaged to serve as cook on board the bark Madeira of Glasgow, 
Captain J. Douglas, on her voyage from Glasgow to California, thence to China, and thence home to a port of discharge in the United Kingdom. I signed articles and delivered up my register ticket as a British seaman, as required by law. I entered the service on board the said vessel under the said engagement and sailed with that vessel on the 18th of February, 1851. I discharged my duty as cook on board the said vessel from the date of its having left the Clyde until June the same year, in which month the vessel rounded Cape Horn. At that time my legs became frostbitten and I became in consequence unfit for duty. In the course of the next day after my limbs became affected, the master of the vessel and mate took me to the ship's oven in order, as they said, to cure me. The oven was hot at the time, a fowl that was roasting therein having been removed in order to make room for my feet, which was put into the oven. In consequence of the treatment, my feet burst through the intense swelling, and mortification ensued. The vessel called six weeks after at Valparaiso, and I was there taken to a hospital, where I remained five months and a half. Both my legs were amputated three inches below my knees soon after I went to the hospital at Valparaiso. I asked my master for my wages due to me for my service on board the vessel and demanded my register ticket. When the captain told me I should not recover, that the vessel could not wait for me, and that I was a dead man, and that he could not discharge a dead man, and that he also said that as I had no friends there to get my money, he would only put a little money into the hands of the consul which would be applied in burying me. On being discharged from the hospital, I called on the consul and was informed by him that Master had not left any money. I was afterwards taken on board one of Her Majesty's ships, the driver, Captain Charles Johnson, and landed at Portsmouth. From thence I got a passage to Glasgow, where I remained three months. Upon supplication to the register office for seamen in London, my register ticket has been forwarded to the Collector of Customs, Glasgow, and he is ready to deliver it to me upon obtaining the authority of the Justices of the Peace, and I recovered the same under the 22nd section of the General Merchant Seamen's Act. Declares I cannot write. Signed, David McKinley, J.P. End quote. Quote, the Justices having considered the foregoing information and declaration, finds that Edward Albert therein named the last register ticket sought to be covered under circumstances which, so far as he was concerned, were unavoidable, and that no fraud was intended or committed by him in reference thereto, therefore authorised the collector and comptroller of customs at the port of Glasgow to deliver to the said Edward Albert the register ticket sought to be recovered by him all in terms of 22nd section of the General Merchant Seamen's Act. Signed, David McKinley, J.P., Glasgow, October 6th, 1852. Register ticket number 512654, age 25 years. End quote. I could make a large book of my sufferings, sir, if I liked, he said, and I will disgrace the owners of that ship as long as they don't give me what they owe me. I will never leave England or Scotland until I get my rights. But they says money makes money, and if I had money, I could get it. If they would only give me what they owe me, I wouldn't ask anybody for a farthing, God knows, sir. I don't know why the master put my feet in the oven. He said to cure me. The agony of pain I was in was such, he said, that it must be done. The loss of my limbs is bad enough, but it's still worse when you can't get what is your rights, nor anything for the sweat that they worked out of me. 
After I went down to Glasgow for my money, I opened a little coffee house. It was called Uncle Tom's Cabin. I did very well. The man who sold me tea and coffee said he would get me on, and I had better give my money to him to keep safe, and he used to put it away in a tin box which I had given four and sixpence for. He advertised my place in the papers, and I did a good business. I had the place open a month when he kept all my savings, two and forty pounds, and shut up the place and denied me of it, and I never got a farthing. I declare to you, I can't describe the agony I felt when my legs were burst. I fainted away over and over again. There was four men come. I was lying in my hammock, and they moved the fowl that was roasting and put my legs in the oven. There they held me for ten minutes. They said it would take the cold out. But after I came out, the cold caught him again, and the next day they swole up as big round as a pillar and burst, and then like water come out. No man but God knows what I have suffered and went through. By the order of the doctor at Valparaiso, the sick patients had to come out of the rooms I went into. The smell was so bad, I couldn't bear it myself. It was all mortification. They had to use chloride or zinc to keep the smell down. They tried to save one leg, but the mortification was getting up into my body. I got better after my legs were off. I was three months good before I could turn, or able to lift up my hand to my head. I was glad to move after that time. It was a regular relief to me. If it wasn't for good attendance, I should not have lived. You know they don't allow tobacco in a hospital, but I had it. It was the only thing I cared for. The Reverend Mr. Armstrong used to bring me a pound a fortnight. He used to bring it regular. I never used to smoke before. They said I never should recover. But after I got the tobacco, it seemed to soothe me. I was five months and a half in that place. Admiral Mosley of the Thetis frigate sent me home, and the reason why he sent me home was that after I came well, I called on Mr. Rouse, the English consul, and he sent me to the boarding-house till such time as he could find a ship to send me home in. I was there about two months, and the boarding-master, Jan Pace, sent me to the consul. I used to get about a little with two small crutches, and I also had a little cart before that on three wheels. It was made by a man in the hospital. I used to lash myself down in it. That was the best thing I ever had. I could get about best in that. Well, I went to the consul, and when I went to him, he says, I can't pay your board. You must beg and pay for it. So I went and told Jan Pace, and he said, If you had stopped here a hundred years, I would not turn you out. And then I asked Pace to tell me where the admiral lived. What do you want with him, says he. I said, I think the admiral must be higher than the consul. Pace slapped me on the back. Says he, I'm glad to see you've got the pluck to complain to the admiral. I went down at nine o'clock the next morning to see the admiral. He said, well, Prince Albert, how are you getting on? So I told him I was getting on very bad. And then I told him all about the consul. And he said, as long as he stopped, he would see me righted and took me on board his ship, the Thetis, and he wrote to the consul and said to me, If the consul sends for you, don't you go to him. Tell him you have no legs to walk, and he must walk to you. The consul wanted to send me back in a merchant ship, but the admiral wouldn't have it, so I came in the driver, one of Her Majesty's vessels. It was the 8th of May, 1852, when I got to Portsmouth. I stopped a little while, about a week, in Portsmouth. I went to the admiral of the dockyard and he told me I must go to the Lord Mayor of London. So I paid my passage to London, saw the Lord Mayor, who sent me to Mr Yardley, the magistrate, and he advertised the case for me, and I got £4.15 shillings besides my passage to Glasgow. After I got there, I went to Mr Symee, a custom-house officer. 
He'd been in the same ship with me to California. He said, Oh, gracious, Edward, how have you lost your limbs? And I burst out a-crying. I told him all about it. He advised me to go to the owner. I went there, but the policeman in London had put my name down as Robert Thorpe, which was the man I lodged with, so they denied me. I went to the shipping office, where they recognised me, and I went to Mr. Symey again, and he told me to go before the Lord Mayor, a Lord Provost they call him in Scotland, and make an affidavit. And so, when they found my story was right, they sent to London for my seaman's ticket. But they couldn't do anything, because the captain was not there. When I got back to London, I commenced sweeping the crossing, sir. I only sweep it in the winter, because I can't stand in the summer. Oh yes, I feel my feet still. It's just as if I had them sitting on the floor now. I feel my toes moving, like as if I had them. I could count them, the whole ten, whenever I work my knees. I had a corn on one of my toes, and I can feel it still, particularly at the change of weather. Sometimes I might get two shillings a day at my crossing, sometimes one shilling and sixpence. Sometimes I don't take above sixpence. The most I ever made in one day was three shillings and sixpence, but that's very seldom. I am a very steady man. I don't drink what money I get, and if I had the means to get something to do, I'd keep off the streets. When I offered to go to the parish, they told me to go to Scotland, to spite the men who owed me my wages. Many people tell me I ought to go to my country, but I tell them it's very hard. I didn't come here without my legs. I lost them, as it were, in this country. But if I had lost them in my own country, I should have been better off. I should have gone down to the magistrate every Friday and have taken my ten shillings. I went to the Merchant Seamen's Fund, and they said that those who got hurted before 1852 have been getting the funds, but those who were hurted after 1852 couldn't get nothing. It was stopped in 51, and the merchants wouldn't pay any more, and don't pay any more. That's scandalous, because, whether you're willing or not, you must pay two shillings a month. One shilling a month for the hospital fees, and one shilling a month to the Merchant Seamen's Fund, out of your pay. I am married. My wife is the same colour as me, but an Englishwoman. I've been married two years. I married her from where she belonged, in Leeds. I couldn't get on to do anything without her. Sometimes she goes out and sells things, fruit and so on, but she don't make much. With the assistance of my wife, if I could get my money, I would set up in the same line of business as before, in a coffee shop. If I had three pounds, I could do it. It took well in Scotland. I am not a common cook either. I am a pastry cook. I used to make all the sorts of cakes they have in the shops. I bought the shapes and tins and things to make them proper. I'll tell you how I did. There was a kind of apparatus. It boils water and coffee and the milk and the tea in different departments. But you couldn't see the divisions. The pipes all ran into one tap-like. I've had a sixpence and a shilling for people to look at it. It cost me two pound ten. Even if I had a coffee stall down at Covent Garden, I should do. And besides, I understand the making of eel soup. I have one child. It is just three months and a week old. It is a boy, and we call it James Edward Albert. James is after my grandfather, who was a slave. I was a little boy when the slaves in Jamaica got their freedom. The people were very glad to be free. They do better since, I know, because some of them have got property and send their children to school. There's more Christianity there than there is here. The public house is close shut on Saturday night and not open till Monday morning. No fruit is allowed to be sold in the street. I am a Protestant. I don't know the name of the church, but I goes down to a new-built church near King's Cross. I never go in because of my legs, but I just go inside the door. And sometimes when I don't go, 
I read the testament I've got here. In all my sickness, I took care of that. There are a great many Irish in this place. I would like to get away from it, for it is a very disgraceful place. It is an awful, awful place altogether. I haven't been in it very long, and I want to get out of it. It is not fit. I pay one and sixpence rent. If you don't go out and drink and carouse with them, they don't like it. They make use of bad language. They chaff me about my misfortune. They call me cripple. Some says Uncle Tom, and some says nigger. But I never takes no notice of him at all. The following is a verbatim copy of the placard which the poor fellow places before him when he begs. He carries it when not in use in a little calico bag which hangs round his neck. Kind Christian friends, the unfortunate Edward Albert was cook on board the bark Madeira of Glasgow, Captain J. Douglas, in February 1851, when, after rounding Cape Horn, he had his legs and feet frostbitten, when in that state his master and mate put my legs and feet into the oven, as they said to cure me, the oven being hot at the time. A fowl was roasting was took away to make room for my feet and legs. In consequence of this, my feet and legs swelled and burst. Mortification then ensued, after which my legs were amputated three inches below the knees, soon after my entering the hospital at Valparaiso. As I have no other means to get a livelihood but by appealing to a generous public, your kind donations will be most thankfully received. The Maimed Irish Crossing Sweeper He stands at the corner of Blank Street, where the yellow omnibuses stop, and refers to himself every now and then as the poor lame man. He has no especial mode of addressing the passers-by, except that of hobbling a step or two towards them, and sweeping away an imaginary accumulation of mud. He has lost one leg from the knee by a fall from a scaffold while working as a bricklayer's labourer in Wales some six years ago, and speaks bitterly of the hard time he had of it when he first came to London and hobbled about selling matches. He says he is thirty-six, but looks more than fifty, and his face has the ghastly expression of death. He wears the ordinary close cloth street cap and corduroy trousers. Even during the warm weather, he wears an upper coat, a rough, thick garment, fit for the Arctic regions. It was very difficult to make him understand my object in getting information from him. He thought that he had nothing to tell, and laid great stress upon the fact of his never keeping count of anything. He accounted for his miserably small income by stating that he was an invalid, now and then continually. He said, I can't say how long I have been on this crossing. I think about five years. When I came on it, there had been no one here before. No one interferes with me at all at all. I never heard of a crossing being sold, but I don't know any other sweepers. I makes no freedom with no one, and I always keeps my own mind. I don't know how much I earn a day. Perhaps I might get a shilling, and perhaps sixpence. I didn't get much yesterday, Sunday. Only sixpence. I was not out on Saturday. I was ill in bed, and I was at home on Friday. Indeed, I did not get much on Thursday, only tuppence halfpenny. The largest day? I don't know. Why? About a shilling. Well, sure, I might get as much as two shillings if I got a shilling from a lady. Some gentlemen are good. Such a gentleman as you now might give me a shilling. Well, as to weather, I likes half dry and half wit. Of course, I wish for the bad weather. Everyone must be glad of what brings good to him. And there's one thing I can't make the weather. I can't make a fine day nor a wit one. I don't think anybody would interfere with me, certainly, if I was a blackyard. I should not be left here, no, nor if I was a thief. 
but if any other man was to come on to my crossing i can't say whether the police would interfere to protect me perhaps they might what is it i say to shabby people well by j they're all shabby i think i don't see any difference but what can i do i can't insult them and i was never insulted myself since here i've been nor for the matter of that ever had an angry word spoken to me well sure i don't know who's the most liberal if i got a fourpenny bit from a mall i'd take it some of the ladies are very liberal a good lady will give me a sixpence i never heard of sweeping the mud back again and as for the boys annoying me i has no colleaguing with boys and they wouldn't be allowed to interfere with me the police wouldn't allow it after i came from wales where i was on one leg selling matches then it was i took to sweeping the crossing a poor devil must put up with anything good or bad well i was a labouring man a bricklayer's labourer and i've been away from ireland these sixteen year when i came from ireland i went to wales i was there a long time and the way i broke my leg was i fell off a scaffold i am not married a lame man wouldn't get any woman to have him in london at all at all i don't know what age i am i'm not fifty nor forty i think about thirty-six no by j it's not myself that ever knew a well-off crossing sweeper i don't deal in them at all i got a deal of friends in london assist me but only now and then if i depended on the few halfpence i get i wouldn't live on them what money i get here wouldn't buy a pound a mate and i wouldn't live only for my friends you see sir i can't be out always i am laid up nows and thens continually oh it's a poor trade to big on the crossin from morning till night and not get sixpence i couldn't do with it i know yes sir i smoke it's a comfort it is i like any kind i'd get to smoke i'd like the best if i got it i am a roman catholic and i go to st patrick's and st giles's a many people from my neighbourhood go there i go every sunday and to confession just once a year that saves me by the lord's mercy i don't get broken victuals nor broken mate not as much as you might put on the tip of a fork they'd chuck it out in the dustbin before they'd give it to me i suppose they're all alike the devil an odd job i ever got master nor knives to clean if i got their knives to clean perhaps i might clean them my brooms cost threepence halfpenny they are very good i wear them down to a stump and they last three weeks this fine weather i never got any old clothes not but i want a coat very bad sir i come from dublin my father and mother died there of cholera and when they died i come to england and that was the cause of my coming by my oath i didn't stand me in more than eighteen pence when i took here last week i live in blank lane st giles's church on the second landing and i pay eight pence a week i haven't a room to myself for there's a family lives in it with me when i goes home i just smokes a pipe and goes to bed that's all End of section 91